0: Hey, Bloodstream listeners, it's Patrick here. We're off this week, but we've got a brand new limited series podcast that I want to introduce you to. It's called PNH, Facts, Fiction, and FYI. What is PNH? Paroxysmal nocturnal hemoglobinuria, or PNH, is a rare problem with the blood. In PNH, some special parts on the outside of blood cells are missing. Because of this, the body's defense system attacks the blood cells, which makes them break easily. This can lead to problems like tiredness, pale skin, or even pee that looks red. Doctors can help treat PNH to make people feel better. We're going to play the first episode in its entirety right here on the Bloodstream Podcast. And if you like what you hear, give the show a follow. Links are in the show notes. And now, please enjoy the first episode of PNH Facts, fiction, and FYI. Sponsored by Novartis.
1: This content is independently created by Bloodstream Media. Novartis is our exclusive advertising partner. Welcome to the PNH Podcast. We're glad you're here.
2: On this podcast, we'll be talking all things paroxysmal nocturnal hemoglobinuria, otherwise known as
1: PNH, which can also stand for pretty neat hosts. I like
2: that. And that's me, Josh.
1: And me, Kay.
2: And first, we'd like to start off with some PNH.
1: Perfectly nice history.
2: About PNH.
1: The history of paroxysmal nocturnal hemoglobinuria starts in the 80s. Actually, the 1880s, Griefswald, Germany.
2: This was when Paul Strubing began to study a 29-year-old cart maker. The cartmaker noticed a dark discoloration in his urine first thing in the morning that dissipated throughout the day.
1: Hmm. His symptoms included extreme fatigue, shortness of breath, heart palpitations, vertigo, and pain and tenderness upon palpitation around the spleen, with lesser pain around the liver and kidneys.
2: Strubing was able to demonstrate that the darkened urine was due to the presence of hemoglobin,
1: which is a red protein that transports oxygen in red blood cells.
2: Strubing also noticed that sleep was playing an important role due to the morning urine discoloration, which led him to develop his hypothesis that PNH red cells were destroyed during sleep.
1: Strubing was ahead of his time, and his hypothesis influenced research in the field for more than 50 years.
2: Even though we went back in time just now, I feel like we might be getting a little bit ahead of ourselves. And you might be wondering, who
1: cares about a 29-year-old cart maker in Greifswald, Germany? What is PNH exactly? And why are we talking about urine so much?
2: We'll answer all of these questions and more in the very first episode of the PNH pod, facts, fiction, and FYI.
1: Thanks for joining us. Now
2: buckle up. Okay, I think it would be really great to start with a simple textbook definition of PNH.
1: Agreed. Let's start by breaking down the name. Paroxysmal, nocturnal, hemoglobinuria.
2: Paroxysmal.
1: Probably the hardest set of the three words there.
2: It means a sudden attack or periodical outburst. Sudden and irregular. Nocturnal. Easy.
1: Means at night.
2: Sure does. And finally, hemoglobinuria
1: means hemoglobin in urine, which can make the urine dark in color.
2: Putting that together, paroxysmal nocturnal hemoglobinuria means...
1: Sudden and irregular episodes of dark urine at night, or when you wake up in the morning from sleeping all night.
2: And why do PNH patients have hemoglobin in their urine?
1: Hey, I'm no doctor.
2: Well, neither am I.
1: So
3: let's bring someone in here to help us out.
2: Oh, thank goodness.
3: My name is Eileen White and I'm a professor of medicine at the Jane Ann Knoll Division of Hematology, Keck USC School of Medicine.
4: My name is uh, Satish Chonat. I'm a pediatric and uh, young adult hematologist who takes care of uh, patients with PNH. I work at Children's Health Care of Atlanta and Emory University School of Medicine. I'm an associate professor at Emory University School of Medicine.
2: So you think they know more about PNH than we do?
4: It is possible, Josh. Great.
2: Let's get into it. Mm
3: The is a very old disease. It was actually first referenced in the literature in 1866 by Sir William Gull, when he described a young man who had urine of varying shades ranging from normal to indigo. And over the ensuing 130 years, it was felt to be a hemolytic disease, only causing red cell destruction.
4: It's several eminent physicians have contributed uh, to the understanding of PNH uh, a little by little. Uh, to start off with the name, the paroxysmal nocturnal lesson for nighttime in hemoglobinuria when there is um, uh, hemoglobin in the urine as uh, a secondary to breaking down of red blood cells was originally described by a German physician, Paul uh, Strubin, uh, very early in 1880s. And he, the one who actually said that these red cells, the PNH red blood cells, are very sensitive to breakdown when the plasma gets acidified. Uh, and they felt that it more so happens during sleep. Hence, it was given the name nocturnal because of this accumulation of this lactic acid and carbon dioxide. It was more so in 1930s to 1950s, uh, two great physicians, uh, both from uh, Case, um, Case Western, Reserve and Case Medical School, Thomas uh, Ham, who actually discovered that the PH red cells gets broken down in this acidified serum. The important um, um, discovery they made was it was an antibody-independent process um, because it's important then, by that time, we only knew the classical pathway of complement, which was antibody-dependent. And a colleague of his actually in you know, the 1950s, Louis Pillem, is the one who actually discovered the. Alternative pathway of complement.
2: Okay, so I know antibodies are host proteins that are produced by the immune system in response to foreign molecules that enter the body. And so what I'm gathering is while there was an early suspicion that antibodies might be involved in the development of PNH. It was eventually discovered that the disease's main mechanism is related to the deficiency of complement regulatory proteins rather than the direct action of antibodies.
1: And a complement regulatory protein is a factor that performs a tight regulatory function.
2: I was just about to ask.
3: And then in the late 1990s, the discovery was made of the loss of the complement regulatory proteins. And then it was identified that this loss of the complement regulatory proteins was due to the loss of the glycosyl phosphatidyl inositol anchors, or GPI anchors, which act like little hooks on the cell membrane. And they link about 30 proteins to the cell membranes. The other interesting thing that was noted was this association with bone marrow failure. And... um, Patients with PNH either start as a plastic anemia or develop a plastic anemia.
2: Which is a rare but serious blood condition that occurs when your bone marrow can't make enough new blood cells for your body to work normally.
3: And they flow from can flow from one to the other. So this association has been noted for at least 50 years. More recently, the... the Um, Starting in 2003, Pete Hillman really had the vision to try a complement inhibitor uh, to treat PNH. He had a very sick young patient that he wanted to treat. And it worked. And so much of what we know now about PNH has been uh, identified using complement inhibitors in a sense in an in vivo experiment. And we've learned a lot about PNH that it's not just a hemolytic disease. It affects all the cells in the bone marrow and thrombosis is not necessarily due to hemolysis. It's really driven by complement activation. And the. A loss of complement regulation.
2: Clearly, they know a lot more about PNH than we do.
3: Yeah, I think
1: we can keep them around.
2: Imagine if we didn't. What would we spend the rest of this episode talking about? PNH. Really?
1: Probably nothing helpful.
2: <laughs> we got that right. We'll hear from Dr. Chonat and Dr. Whites more after this quick break. This is an ad for Novartis, the exclusive advertising partner for PNH, facts, fiction, and FYI. Ever wonder is my PNH well controlled or how bad do my symptoms need to get before I talk to my doctor? You can get the answers you need at explorepnh.com. There you'll learn that any symptoms, mild or severe, may be a sign your PNH isn't well controlled and that because PNH is different for everyone, it's important to let your doctor know how you're feeling. So if you want to deepen your understanding of PNH, which can help you advocate for yourself and your needs, get answers and helpful resources at explorepnh.com. Brought to you by Novartis.
1: And we're back. Thanks for sticking around.
2: Yeah, so thus far, Dr. Chonat and Dr. Weitz gave us a really solid background on the history of PNH from when it was first discovered through our understanding of how the disease evolved over time all the way up until today.
1: Now, we'd like to take a look at the symptoms of PNH.
2: And why early diagnosis is really important.
3: PNH is a pretty morbid disease. It's associated with an early mortality Uh, about half of the patients will die by between five and 10 years after diagnosis. If you have a thromboembolic event, the likelihood of your being alive at four years is only 40%. That means that 60% of the patients die. The vast majority of PNH patients are diagnosed in their late 20s, early 30s. So these patients aren't gonna live to be 50. So it's a very morbid disease.
2: A thromboembolic event is a blood clot that can occur in veins and arteries and obstruct blood flow.
1: If a clot like that occurs in the brain, it can cause a stroke.
2: If it occurs in the heart, it can cause a heart attack.
1: So early diagnosis is critical.
3: Some of the symptomatology um, varies depending on whether there's a paroxysm. So you might ask, well, what's a paroxysm? And what a paroxysm is, it's an exacerbation of complement activation. So they get more hemolysis, they get more cellular destruction, they're more likely to have a blood clot, etc.
4: The majority of commonly reported symptoms that we see in pain are secondary to chronic hemolysis. So as mentioned earlier, hemolysis of breakdown of red blood cells. Um, they result in anemia so majority of the symptoms are, is because of this anemia fatigue is tops the list is, is seen in over 80% of these patients the more the breakdown of hemolysis more of all of these symptoms so the patients who may have smaller amount of hemolysis they may have a slightly lesser symptoms than the others but fatigue tops the list headache difficulty in breathing or dyspnea blood and urine called hemoglobinuria. So actually it's hemoglobin in the urine.
3: But it turns out that only about 40% of patients show significant identifiable hemoglobinuria.
4: In males, especially a third of them can experience erectile dysfunction. Some of the other symptoms because of this breaking down of red blood cells, which can happen in different parts of the body, they could actually experience abdominal pain. They could experience chest pain. Uh, Some of them could even have confusion. Um, With regards to complications that we see in PNH, in addition to this anemia or hemolytic anemia, the two other major complications we see are thrombosis, which are blood clots in deep veins in our body. The characteristic in PNH that these blood clots can happen in any veins, it's not one of those commonly seen such as the arms or legs.
3: So thrombotic events are common and not unusual. And... um... You could have leg swelling from a blood clot, or you could have uh, loss of function from a stroke, etc.
4: The third important complication is the bone marrow failure, which is uh, seen in uh, a proportion of patients with PNH.
3: And the patients, because they have red cell destruction, may develop jaundice, so their eyes will be yellow.
4: Some
2: of these symptoms seem like they could be easy to spot like jaundice, swelling limbs, abnormally dark or discolored urine at night or first thing in the morning.
1: Yes, and a lot of other symptoms are more personal and harder for a loved one to notice, like fatigue, abdominal pain, headaches.
2: And some are some things that you might only find through a doctor's visit, like blood clots that could lead to a stroke.
1: It's hard to know what's just a headache or a result of a weekend of heavy eating or drinking, but when multiple symptoms start to add up over longer periods of time, that's exactly when you should go get checked out, especially if you a loved one are both noticing things.
2: I feel like we have a pretty good grasp on the symptoms and complications.
1: So then my next question would be, who gets PNH? How many people have it? And are there any prevalent demographic groups in the people being diagnosed?
4: The thought is that the global prevalence of PNH is estimated at about 10 to 15 cases per million individuals. So that's a prevalence so it's how many people actually do have it at this point. The incidence of the new cases of PNH is estimated to be about five to six cases per million individuals. But we have a lot of data from uh, the International PNH Registry, but which is getting transitioned to more of a, a combined registry. Um, but it's important to recognize that these data that we have um, may be somewhat uh, limited uh, because these registries are only open in certain parts of the world. For example, in US alone, there are about 5,000 to 6,000 cases currently with PNH, and we have about 2450 or 400 or so new cases which gets diagnosed every year. So the prevalence of the number of people who have it here is about anywhere from about 5 or so. That's what I usually tell my trainees every 100,000 people. Now, the Research in terms of the demographics, we know now that there seems to be a higher frequency of PNH in Southeast and
3: certain parts of Eastern Asia. In China, it's more associated with aplastic anemia. Again,
1: aplastic anemia is when your body stops producing enough new blood cells.
3: And it's seen in this belt across northern, northern China, um, which is something of an industrial area. We also see a number of cases in the oil belt in Texas. So whether or not those exposures have caused the mutations is not clear, but there's some suggestion of that. But it's seen all over the world and it's seen in every ethnic group and it's seen pretty much equally female and male.
4: There's some research that it may have a slightly increased female uh, 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 preponderance uh, but to our knowledge at this point, there's no evidence with regards to any kind of ethnic or racial uh, differences. Uh, but it's important to note that there's some data which suggests that some of the complications seen in PNH may be seen a little bit more frequently in certain ethnic groups or racial groups, such as blood clots in blacks, uh, blood clots in Latin Americans, compared to the Caucasian population.
2: In 1889, Paul Struving became the director of the Nose and Throat Clinic at the University of Griefswald, concluding his research in PNH.
1: What followed was decades of research and discovery around the world, bringing us to our modern understanding of PNH, as we had so helpfully illuminated by Dr. Tonat and Dr. Whites here today.
2: With PNH being such a rare disease, the work of people like Dr. Chona and Dr. White's is critically important.
1: Because no disease, however rare, should be overlooked.
2: And every patient matters.
1: Which is why I'm grateful we get a chance to talk about it and help be a part of raising that awareness.
3: People have to think about it. If you don't think about it, you'll never see a case. And um, in the modern era, people don't necessarily have the time to think about it. But they should. I think people got excited. Hematologists got excited when they, when they identified a case because it's so rare. One in 15 million is the incidence. So uh, it's an extremely rare event. Uh, but nevertheless, it's some, something that's worth making the diagnosis because now we have treatments that can improve the lifespan of these patients. And uh, the use of complement inhibition has changed the dynamic in terms of how long people live.
4: So, the fact that there is a treatment if you diagnose early has actually really changed the face of this disease. Because it's important to remember that if the symptomatic patients are left undiagnosed, um, up to two-thirds of them die from blood clots.
2: Thrombosis in the veins is one of the leading causes of morbidity from PNH. And it used to be the leading cause of morbidity in individuals with PNH prior to the use of complement inhibitors.
4: And it's important to remember these could be young individuals because the median age of diagnosis of PNH is between 35 and 40 years of age. So the perception in the community has certainly changed, especially with regards to new medications, that we can actually change the course of this disease.
1: And still, with all the growth and development in understanding PNH, there's work to be done.
4: I think one of the biggest challenges in PNH remains the time it takes for the diagnosis from the very first symptom onset. Um, We looked at in young children and adults, our median delay to diagnosis or the time taken for diagnosis from the initial symptom onset is anywhere from about a few weeks to up to four years. And, and this is uh, in line with some of the other data from other parts of the world, suggesting that that the, some of the symptoms that these patients experience are very common symptoms. And there could be very uh, a number of clinical explanations to these symptoms, which makes it more challenging. Um, and I think over the years, uh, one, we've started to bring more awareness or understanding uh, of this natural history of this disease. So hence, we we're able to actually Provide better awareness to pro- other providers, because understanding PNH and making providers more aware of what testing to be done, and the fact that there is actually a, a, a very effective treatment option that's available for these patients, which certainly has been a game changer.
2: Early diagnosis and increased awareness of PNH can make all the difference in the lives of those living with it.
1: Next week, we'll be talking with a few of those people living with PNH and getting a better understanding of how PNH impacts their lives, what challenges they face in managing their condition, what treatment looks like, and
2: more. We wanna thank Dr. Chonat and Dr. Whites for being here with us today.
1: Luckily, we won't miss them for long. They'll be joining us throughout the season as we learn more about PNH.
2: Ooh, that is PNH. Huh? Pleasantly nice to hear.
1: Maybe we'll leave the PNH puns in episode one.
2: Only one way to find out.
1: Tune in next week for the second episode of the PNH pod.